I want you to take your Bibles and open them to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Uh, if you miss Rob's introduction to the book of Ecclesiastes, then I'm going to encourage you to go listen to it. I mean this. He did an amazing job, and, and he, he gave us some lenses to, to actually see the book through that if you don't have those lenses, I want to say to you, you're going uh, to miss the book. You're going to be confused. It's not going to be clear. Life itself and life with God. Uh, you're going to get used to this in a moment. In third service, I'm thinking I'm probably just going to stand here and not exhaust myself, <laughs> just so you know. Uh, published in 1978, uh, there's this book that uh, took five years to ever reach the New York Times bestsellers list. But when it did, uh, it stayed there for 10 years, broke tons of publishing records. Uh, it went on to sell over 7 million copies. It was translated into more than 23 languages. Now, I didn't read it. It came out in 78 when I graduated high school, 78. But I didn't read it until the mid-80s. But I've never forgotten the first sentence nor the first paragraph. And I'll put it on the screen for you as I read it. He writes, life is difficult. This is a great truth. One of the greatest truths. It is a great truth because once we truly see this truth, we transcend it. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult. Because once it is accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer Matters. That's M. Scott Peck in his book, The Road Less Traveled. The more I studied our text today, which will be the bulk of chapter 1 in Ecclesiastes, the more I became convinced that what the preacher says and what Scott Peck says are eerily similar. Now what I mean is there are... Three, at least, there's many more, but fundamentally three uh, great truths, I'll call them that, uh, that are foundational to life. Let me say it how the preacher says it, life on the planet. And to the degree that we don't accept, and, and hear me on this, I mean truly accept, truly understand these three great truths, uh, we are only according to Ecclesiastes harming ourselves. Now, I'm going to warn you. I won't get to them till the end. But these are three truths that we spend a lifetime, many of us, denying, diminishing, burying, trying to keep those truths from, from entering our head and our heart, our very Lives. All right, we're going to start at the beginning. So, with your Bibles open, I just want to grab verses 1 and 2. Rob covered these last week, but we'll start there. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king, of, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, he says, the, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Rob explained this word, vanity means futile. Futility of futilities. It carries the idea 
of being transient. The, the idea is that it's here and it's gone. Do you remember Rob squirted the, um, the, the mist and then the mist is there and it's like, then it's gone. Now, some of your translations will use the word meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything's meaningless. And I would say, and Rob would, that translation of that Hebrew word havel, it, it goes too far, if I could say that. It goes, that translation goes too far because the preacher here, and we believe it's Solomon, it's a narrator that's, you know, that's speaking of Solomon's life, if not Solomon himself, he's going to tell us there's some meaning. There's some things better than other things. So it's not, I want you to be careful, it's not the idea of meaningless. The emphasis is life on planet Earth, your life and mine, is fleeting. One author says it this way, it leaves no permanent impact or impression on reality. That's the idea. Life's effects don't last. One translation says it this way. The merest of breaths, says the preacher, the merest of breaths, everything is a breath. Now, in the time that I said that, you've taken at least two breaths. Do you remember what that first breath was? Because now you've taken eight. Do you remember what the fifth one was? No. No. That's your life. That's my life. Let's, let's face it. It's here. It's gone. And you're forgotten. Now we're going to continue our study with verses 3 through 18. Verse 3, I want to take it on its own because it's an anchor verse, if I could say it that way. What I mean is, verse 3, he asks a question that he's going to spend the rest of the book defending, explaining, giving evidence for in his answer. So verse 3 is the anchor. If you're ever in Ecclesiastes and you don't know where you are or what he's talking about, he's talking about verse 3, okay? Follow along there. It says, what advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? Advantage is a business term. It's where it comes from. It's an economic term. It's this idea of income minus expenses leaves you a surplus or a loss. That's the idea. What's the surplus of your life? What's the gain of your life? Or is it, is it a loss when you take your life, everything it costs you, what falls out at the bottom? That's the advantage that he's asking. Now, the preacher has already answered this question. Okay, so we don't have to wonder. He's already answered it in verse 2. So he says, he takes life, he takes what life costs, what it means to live on planet Earth to live, and then he says, here's the gain, and what's his answer? I want you to say it. What's his answer in verse 2 to this question? Say it out loud. Vanity. He, he, so, oh my gosh. So he's going to say life on the planet when you take your life and subtract out the costs and everything to it. Let me tell you what you get. Vanity, futility, transientness. I mean, it's not what we want to hear, is it? I mean, honestly, that's not what we, it's not what the culture says, and it's not what we even teach each other or ourselves. 
the huge majority of the 8 billion people who live on this planet today, can I say this? They don't believe that's true. And most of them never will. So the preacher's going to spend the rest of this strange book explaining and presenting evidence to support his conclusion. It's all a breath. Now, verses 4 through 18, y'all, this is uh, widely accepted as a poem. It's, a, it's poetic. It's a poem. And the writer has so put it that it not only is poetic in structure, but visually it's written so that it points at the main point. Now, I'm going to read this. I'm going to show you a slide. Look at verses 4 through 11. Follow along in your Bibles. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Also, the sun rises and the sun sets, and hastening to its place, it rises there again. Blowing toward the south, then turning toward the north, the wind continues swirling along, and on its circular courses, the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there's nothing new under the sun. You ever wonder where that phrase came from? This is where it came from. Is there anything of which one might say, see, it is new? Already it has existed for ages, which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things, and also of the later things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. Now I'm going to put the structure of the poem up here, because it is actually written in a chiastic structure. Uh, this is simply a term scholars used. Uh, take the Greek letter chi. Think of this. It's an X. So that's an X. And then when you, when you look at the poem itself, you'll notice it, it, it goes in and it goes out so that it goes to a point, i.e. in this way. You take the first line of this poem and you take the last line and they match. They're parallel. So you read it, you know, verse 4, generations come, generations go. All the way down at verse 11, there's no remembrance of people. See, they're the same. Take the next lines and you'll see they match. Verses 5 and 6, you know, there's a repetitive circularity to nature. And then B, down below, uh, there's nothing new under the sun. You see how this is going like this? Then like this, matching. And then it lands at the very center, the sea. The sea is never full, nor are, nor are the eyes or ears. And this is where he says this phrase. Everything is wearisome. Now, with that structure, he's pointing us to the main point, which is at the point. So I want you to tell me, what's the main point of the poem? Say it out loud. Everything's wearisome. 
See that? It's reinforcing the thought. Um, it's exhausting. Everything's just tiring. Everything just makes you tired, poops you out. Now, he's saying more than life is tiring. I think everybody in the room would say, you know, you come home from work or wherever you're at, whatever. End of the day, you come home and you would say, I'm tired. Today was hard. It wore me out. He's saying so much more than that. And that's what I don't want you to miss. You remember the question? What's life? What's life's advantage? Not today. Life's advantage. In other words, when you take your life and you subtract out what it cost you and what it meant to live on this planet, what's your advantage? What's left over? In other words, what does your life end up being? Wearisome. Wearisome. That's the advantage you get. Now, he's going to invite us because that's a hard truth. He's going to say, let me, let me show you why this is true. And he's going to look at nature and then he's going to look at his own experience. Everything is wearisome. Now, when I look at this passage, I look at it in two sections. You know, there's the 4 through 11, the poem. And then there's the 12 through 18, which is his personal experience. And when you look at those, what you're going to get in this first section we're looking at right now is what I've just said. Life is wearisome. Okay, So that, that's the category we're heading we're under right now. Life is wearisome. The next category is going to be knowledge is painful. So those are the two headings we're looking at. Under this idea that life is wearisome... Now, verses 4 through, eight, 4 through 11, he explains it. Now, I heard one biblical scholar call this a cosmic rhythm, like a metronome. You hear it in verses 4 through 11. Now, listen for it. One generation comes, that generation goes, the earth remains forever. You come, you go the earth is still here. You come, you go, the earth is still here. You come, you go, the earth is still here. He goes on to the sun, the sun, and he, he describes it this way. The sun's running in circles. <clears throat> it rises in the east, goes over, and then it hastens to get back to the east so it can do it all over again. And then it runs back over here so that it can do it all over again. And then it runs back over here so it can do it all over again. Now, the reason I say that it runs is that word hastening is literally the sun pants. I get back over to the east so I can go back up and do it all over again. I gotta run back. You see that? It's just this circular cycle. He goes on to say the wind, if the sun goes east to west, well, well, think about the wind. Just pay attention. Just pay attention to the world. You'll note that the wind comes from the north going toward the south, and then it turns and it goes back north. And it comes back south, and it goes back north. So you got east, west, north, south, just... <whistles> Here's the world. And then finally, he said, the rivers flow into the sea, but the sea's never full. He's not talking about the hydraulic cycle, per se. Some say he is. The, the big idea is this, okay? Rivers flow into the sea, and the sea is never full. Rivers flow into the sea, 
and the sea is never full. Rivers flow into the sea, and the sea is never full. Rivers flow into the sea. The sea is Do you see that? The, 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 the idea is rivers keep going into the sea, but the sea's not full. And then they're just right back where they started. Rivers go into the sea, and the sea is not full. The cosmic rhythm just keeps going. And here is where we want to note uh, this, this focus. He's saying the world is always in motion. The sun, the wind, the rivers. Generations come, generations go. It's always, the world's always going and it doesn't get anywhere. That's the idea. The, the life in the world is always progressing, progressing. But guess what? The sun just starts in the east every day. Doesn't get anywhere. It just starts in the east. Do you see that? So that's the idea here. That there's motion. There's effort in nature. These things are happening. But they're not making any progress. Now, he, when, he, when he thinks about it, he finally just goes, there are no words for this. That's verse 8. Uh, man's not able to tell it. And then he says, you know what? Why, why man's not able to tell it? Because there's always more to see. There's always more to hear. And you could keep seeing and you could keep listening. He'll go on. You could keep studying this forever. It'll always be the same. Now, some, some, some would argue, and I get this, you go, well, no, 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 no. I mean, come on, we've made progress over thousands of years, hundreds of years. He's not saying that humanity doesn't, you know, improve things or invent things. He's not saying that, because clearly we do, but at the end of the day, he says, there's nothing new under the sun. Well, what about, what about the internet? I mean, they didn't have that. How about social media? They didn't have that. Well, just think about this. The internet, the end of the day, is it's sharing information. I mean, that's nothing new under the sun. You know, social media at the end of the day is meant to connect people. Now, you tell me. You think it's better today than it was 50 years ago? Connecting? See, there's nothing new under the sun. In fact, I don't know that... Hmm. I don't know that social media has helped that at all. We're, we're very arrogant, I think, I am, to think that people a hundred years ago were not as smart as we are. That's crazy, people. In this way as well, there's nothing new under the sun. You understand when God spoke the world into being, he created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Do you know there's been nothing added to the heavens and the earth and the sea since. There's nothing added. There's nothing ever new. Oh, oh, oh wait, we discovered this, uh, this new periodic element. I mean, it was there. It's not new. You just found it. And even inventions, now, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but, um, you know, there's a new, not new, it's been a year or two now, but uh, this book about da Vinci. And it's fascinating to look at some of the things he did and drew and invented, y'all. He, he, he was way ahead of his time. And that's the truth with every new invention. It borrows from something that was already there. That's all. It's not new. There's nothing 
new under the sun. If you think about humanity, no, 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 we're better people today than they were then because we've, we've evolved, we've grown, we're smarter, we're wiser, et cetera, et cetera. Really? I mean, let's be honest. This is about the reality of life. You've got to be kidding me to think we're, we treat each other better or people are better off. Uh, this is, I think it's evidence in this quote I'll share with you. Quote, the children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect to the elders, end quote. So wrote Socrates, 500 B.C., <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Life is wearisome, and knowledge, second section, knowledge is painful. Knowledge is painful. I want you to follow along as I read this. Verse 12, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. Same thing as under the sun. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be cannot be counted. I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realized that this also is striving after wind. Because in much wisdom, there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. What the preacher is saying is, I am the most qualified to make this investigation. I'm king over Israel. Think about a king, he, he really does, you know, think in this time and day, he's got unlimited, in a, relatively unlimited resources to make this investigation, to go find this out. Uh, he's got pretty much unlimited authority, in other words, you know, at least within his kingdom, if he wants something, he'll say it and he gets it. Don't forget, we, we do believe this is Solomon, if not him writing it, then someone's narrating his experiences, etc., and God answered his prayer, gang. When he said, give me wisdom to rule your people, God gave it to him. I don't think it's unbiblical nor an exaggeration to say there has never been a human being, there never will be one, with the wisdom and knowledge of Solomon. Now this investigation is done with his mind. What does it say three times? I set my mind, I put my mind to. I want you to know that that word literally is is not his brain. The word is literally, I set my heart. I set my heart to this. Now, we're going to talk a lot about this this fall because of our commitment to whole heart change. So when you, think of the, when you hear the word heart in the Bible, don't think of the organ. Even when you hear the word mind, don't just think of the brain itself. You've got to understand the heart is the central 
part of who we are. And it, yes, involves the mind. I mean, there's things we need to know. But understand that the heart also includes our affections. This is where our, this is where our uh, feelings reside, our emotional life. Understand that the heart also involves our desires and longings. And understand that the heart is able to choose. Do you see that? So you have these four parts to the heart, so to speak. Oh, we think, we feel, we, we desire and long and we choose. This is the whole heart. In other words, Solomon says, I put my whole being into this investigation. In fact, I'm not only going to learn it, I'm going to do it so that I feel what it feels like to do these things. I understand my desires and I pursue them. And then I know, well, that's what happens when you go all the way in this. You see, he put his whole heart into the investigation. It says he magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were before him. He went farther and deeper than any. And in the end, okay, and we already know this, he says it's vanity. And then he adds this phrase. It's striving after wind. What a great picture. I remember when we first got um, Sally's cat, Ray. Uh, we, had a, uh, we got one of those laser pointers. You guys know where this is going. It's hilarious to put the laser down and the cats, you know, that predator part of them that's going after it and he's going after this thing. And then we got our dog Pearl involved. So now you have Pearl and Ray chasing a laser so they see it it's there it's not there you know and you just do it over and over and over we're rolling watching these pets go after the laser they are literally chasing the wind it is hilarious to watch pets Strive after the wind. It is sad to watch people strive after the wind. To chase what you can't grasp. It's tragic. Now, the rest of this book is previewed in verse 17. I want you to note, he says, I am going to put my mind to wisdom. Let's go all the way out here. Wisdom. And I'm going to put, I'm going to go after madness and folly, pleasure, everything else. So with this, what he's saying is, I'm going to go all the way, both directions, which includes everything in between. I, I just want to say this. If we believe our Bible, Solomon's going to go places and experience things, quite frankly, so we don't have to. It's going all the way for us. And then he ends by telling us why. Why, why is this all vanity? Why is, why is knowledge painful? Look at verse 18 again. He says, because, let me tell you why it's painful. Because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Now, 
If your kids ever come to you and pull this verse out to tell you why they don't want to do homework or they hate school, you can say, well, you're not looking at it in its context. You know, that's not what it means. He is talking about life, general principle of life. He's not talking about education. And it's a fact of life that as you and I get older and we know more and we experience things, our capacity for pain and for grief only increases. It's like, it's like if you had pain and grief, pain and grief, and you're here as a baby, a child, adolescence, but you get here and I'm 58. See, they, their, their experience of pain and grief is just tiny. But I'm going to tell you, mine at 58, you know, if this is a graph, I got a long way to fall. It's called being an adult. I, I think of this principle, I thought about it as I was studying um, funerals that I've officiated or been at, and you have. It's so interesting how children, young, young children behave at a funeral. Have you ever noticed that for them, it's, uh, I don't know, it's fun. They get to see all their family. Everybody's doting on them. Stuff to eat. Why is that? Well, they haven't lived a lot of life. They, don't, they haven't experienced pain, uh, knowledge and wisdom. See, they don't have the capacity to understand mom's not coming home. Dad's gone. Your brother, your sister will never stay with you in your room anymore. See, they, they, they don't have the capacity to grasp that. What is, they don't, but I'm going to tell you something. You and I, we're the adults. We do. You talk about feeling pain and grief. Live long enough. That's what he's saying. They're inseparable. Life is wearisome, verses 4 through 11. Knowledge is painful, verses 12 to 18. Happy Mother's Day. No. no, I said earlier that there are three great truths, and I believe there are three great truths that Solomon gives us in this text. They're built upon that, they're built upon the fact that life is wearisome and knowledge is painful. I said that we resist these truths. We'll do everything to, to not accept them, and to the degree that we do. Uh, quite frankly, we only harm ourselves. We've got we've to accept these three truths, people, if we're going to live life on the planet, how I truly believe God intends. Let me give them to you, and then we'll talk about them. First, there's something wrong with everything. There's something wrong with everything. The second one would be this. There's something 
always missing. There's something always missing. And the third truth, Solomon, I believe he says in this text, is we can't do anything to fix it. So three great truths. There's something wrong with everything. There's always something missing. I can't do anything to fix that. See, that's life on a broken planet and broken bodies. That's a fact. This is not Lloyd offering you his thoughts. I really believe this. This is God revealing to you and to me what's true. See, this is what I love about the Bible. It's real, people. It's real. This is, this is real. This is true. And it's only when we, you know, I don't know how to say this stronger, truly understand and accept these three truths. It's only when we're, we do that, do, you know, these three truths, do we then transcend them. Well, what, what do you mean we transcend them? We, we, if we'll accept them and, and, and accept that's the reality, then we will learn to live above it, beyond it. It, 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 those three realities won't define our life per se, but we've got to accept them in order to transcend them. It's that statement that Scott Peck made at the beginning of his book. I want you to know when you accept these three, three, three realities, they will not disappear. Don't hear, don't hear me say that or imply that. Oh, now that I've accepted them, uh, th they no longer affect me. No, I'm not saying that. It's not that they disappear, they go away and everything's, you know, perfect. Far from it. What, what I will say happens is this. When we accept, truly accept and understand these three realities, we get off the treadmill. We get off the treadmill of living a life, trying everything in our power to resolve those three problems. We'll get off it. We accept it, I'm telling you this, we get off the treadmill of living a life resisting, diminishing, or denying that those things are true. And we get off, get off the treadmill. We'll get off the treadmill of living our lives doing things that fill the void that those three things bring. That heal the tension and the pain that those three realities create in our hearts. Does that make sense? We'll get off the treadmill. We'll stop living trying to resolve those things. This is what, you know, when he said in verse 8, what's crooked cannot be straightened, and what's lacking cannot be filled. What he's saying is, look, you're a human being, you live on planet Earth, you're going to be here and you're going to be gone, you're going to be forgotten. Let me tell you something about living on planet Earth right now. There's something wrong with everything. What's crooked can't be straightened. There's always something missing. It's always lacking. What's lacking can't be filled. 
and you can't do anything about it. By golly, I'll, yes, I will. I will do something about it. See, the invitation of Solomon is get off the treadmill. Now, some of you may, you know, I know you're kind of going, man, you are the ultimate pessimist, you know. I think I said that you're just, I'm not. I'm, I'm trying to say what Solomon says. And, and, and I, let me see if I can prove this in, in some strange way. Look, I'm hot because I've been working out while y'all been sitting the whole time. <laughs> Woo! I think I may just, I'm okay, babe, thank you. My wife offering me water on Mother's Day. You're amazing. You're amazing. Um, I want you to take the greatest moments in life, at least what we feel are, just, just to name a few. Uh, birth of a child, an adoption, an engagement, a wedding, deep friendship, a promotion. Uh, I don't know, you got an inheritance you weren't looking for. Just, just amazing things in life, whatever those moments are. Okay, family, you know, things are great in the family, etc. I want you to take each of those moments, and I want you to honestly tell me. you got to be honest. Have you ever experienced one of those moments and everything in your life and in the world is as it should be? Can you tell me that you've experienced the greatest of moments, but that even in that, I mean awesome moment, you're going to tell me that you are willing to say that in that moment you still didn't feel some lack, something was still missing, as amazing as this is. See, I, I just quite frankly call you a liar. I mean that because I don't, that is not true. It's not true according to the Bible. And I think with integrity, all of us would say, even, in, and you know what I'm saying? I mean, the birth of a child, this is amazing. Everything's awesome. Well, it is. I don't want to take away from that. It is. But you're telling me everything in your life's awesome? I, it never is. You see that? So that's what he's saying, y'all. This is such a weighty truth. So I don't want to diminish the good, but I also, we can't, you know, I don't think we can really appreciate the good if we don't understand this. To deny, to deny what God is saying here is to live your life on a treadmill. Because this treadmill says, in the time I was speaking on it, that I went 1.1 mile. And can I tell you, the fact is, I've gone nowhere. Y'all, I'm right where I started. And so, the application, the so what, you know, for us is, I think today, will you choose to believe those three truths? And today, I'm telling you, today... Some of you, are you willing, by the Spirit, to get off the treadmill? You know, you're here today. You know, a lot of you, I love seeing all the graduates in the room, family, Mother's Day. I don't know, but you ended up at this church, and I'm just telling you, the invitation to you from God's Word today is, 
Are you willing to get off the treadmill? And I'm going to ask you to do that in a very tangible way in a moment. First thing I want everyone to do, please know if you're a guest, we do this because this word is living, but it's meant to be lived, not known in our head, to be lived. So we're going to live it. Name your treadmill. Just think about it for a moment. You can just think in your head, name your treadmill. Just, just name it. You know, and I'll, I'll give you some, some categories maybe. Is, it, is your treadmill security? I'm going to work my tail off so that I'm secure and my kids have is it. Is it comfort? Is it, is it life? Like literally, is your treadmill life? I just want to live life. I want to, you know, bucket list. You know what I'm saying? No regrets. Is that your treadmill? Is it... How about this? Is it peace? Are you just going to work? I'm going to figure out how to have peace. Is it rest? Is it fun? Is it I'm going to provide better for my kids than, my kid, than I was provided for, for my family? Uh, is it I just, I just want um, to rest. I'm going to work so hard so that I can rest. Now, when I say all those things, I hope some of you are saying, Lloyd, those are all good things. I hope you're saying that because I want to tell you, they are. They're not found here. Get off the treadmill, you see. Now, I'm not, you know, Rob and I are committed to letting the tension stay on this book. It's not just like, whoop-de-doo, solve it, now you're going to be okay. I'm not going to do that. You're going to let you wrestle with this. This is the message for us today. Let's hold the tension. I don't know what it means for you when you get off the treadmill. Uh, I, I assure you we'll get to those answers. And I assure you there are answers and there is hope. Point today, just today. You get off the treadmill. So name it. What would you name it? And then secondly, and this is how we'll end and I'll pray for us. If you sense the spirit for you, you've heard a word from God. And this is not everyone in the room. Please hear this. But I'm just going to do this for who, who has a need to do this and feels they want to do this. If you are at a place today, right now, and you just want to say, I want to get off the treadmill, then I'm going to ask you to stand up. Yeah. Talk about meet and greets being awkward, you know. <laughs> I'm just going to ask you to stand. Why? Because this is our family. It's a community of faith, and God invites us to take steps of faith. And sometimes that step of faith requires us to move our body to do things, not just say it or think it, but to do it. And so some of you... I believe some of you will stand. Not everyone will, because for some of you, your step of faith may be to stay seated. See, it's okay. No, no guilt, no shame. But if you sense God saying, I, today I want to step off the treadmill, I'm going to ask you to stand right now. Just stand and remain standing. I want to step off the treadmill. I do. I'm, I'm, just, I'm going to give you time for a moment if you sense the Lord saying that. Some of you aren't on it. Fabulous. But if you're just going, I, I want to step off. I don't know what it means, but I'm going to step off. Stay standing. That's a step of faith. That's, a, that's courage to stand. And I get it. And those of you seated, I know you, you're not lesser because of that. But those who have stood have sensed the Lord say, I can get off this treadmill.
And I want to commend you for that. And those seated, I'm going to commend you because we're hearing these truths and we're wrestling. I want everybody to stand. Everybody stand because we all stand with each other. And I want to pray over us. Gracious, heavenly Father, thank you for your word that's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you that your word is real and it talks about real life. There's no fantasies here. And Lord, even as Jesus reminded us that the truth, the truth will crush us or it'll set us free, the fact is it does both. By your Spirit, help us to hear what the wisest man who ever lived is saying to us. And may we by your Spirit all step off the treadmill and into reality with you. God, may that be true for us individually. May it be true for us as a church. I ask in the name of Jesus, amen and God bless.